welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came home. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here he is, the star of our podcast, Gene Galvin. (laughs) Oh, oh. Oh, 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 wait now, a second. Now, I got now. the wrong podcast. <laughs> no. Let me try this other one. Hey, Jerry, you know what? Yes. Let, let's talk about how ridiculous that is. That's, of course, is a joke. Jerry Springer. No, no, for Jerry Springer. no. Don't try. Oh, I can Jerry. see you clap louder for Gene. Jerry, here's how ridiculous that is. Yes. And you know this is the truth. If this was the Gene Galvin podcast, then We'd Gene Galvin would be funding the podcast. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Well, that part is that ridiculous. That is, because if I was funding the podcast, it would be like two soup cans with a string and it, not the, it, what it is. Exactly. And so, there'd be, yeah, there'd be no microphones. No, there would be no, no microphones. There'd no. just be some people and talking. And there'd be no room. audience. No, hey. there would be. Oh, well, there would be an oh, audience. audience. Yeah, you of heard the people clap. Yes. Hey, let me ask you something. Yes. Uh, I know. Um, I already know. <laughs> no. <laughs> when you hey, say, let me well, ask you something. Yeah, nothing good ever comes after that, does it? Uh, you know what? I, here's a deal. Yes. It's usually Jerry Springer, Gene Galvin, Megan Hills. Yes. And the fact of the matter is, Megan Hills is key to this podcast. She, but you had to change the date of this week's recording. And that's and why Meg- I have this blow up doll next to and, me. Yeah, no. Instead and of Megan. Megan Hills is not here. And I understand I'm getting hand signal from David Pruce of Ambient Studios, our technical producer, that, that Megan is on the phone. Oh, so I want to phone. warmly bring her forward and chat with her. Megan, how are you? Hey, Gene. Hey, Jerry. How are you guys? Fine. It's not the same without you. This blow-up doll, uh-huh, nothing. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, Megan, I have a little bone to pick with you both. Really? What well, happened? What is it? Um, I understand from some of my friends that work at this podcast mm-hmm. that your Christmas party is this evening. Oh, no, no, no. Well, there was no, no, there was no, there was, it, oh, there, no, was no. Rumor, there was a rumor about that. That it got switched so that your HR friend couldn't be there tonight. No. Oh, you're not going to be able to make no, it? let's get serious mm-hmm. here, Megan. We... I- find that very convenient you two now listen yeah. we we are there there is the cast party the holiday uh-huh. cast party oh it's going to be and, crowded and you will be there <laughs> megan please you will be there yeah. you will be won't you and and if that we apologize this was not a strategy or a tactic to ditch megan no. And Megan, you never, I mean, listen, the subject Megan. came up, let's no. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but by a vote you of two, two are to so one. full of it, it is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Megan, so I know. I know where you live, Mr. Galvin. I know, I know you um, do. I, will, I know where your party is, so yes. I'll be by later on. So uh, whatever it is that you have planned that you don't want me to see, I go ahead and fix it. I understand. Okay. And I know when I hey. was in school, I got ditched <laughs> all the time. You never got ditched. And okay, Megan, thank you. It's Megan Hills. We'll yes. see you later yes. on. Good night, guys. I'll tell you the, the fact. It's BYOB. And it's yeah. by invitation only, by the way. But I but I'll tell you, yeah. uh, Megan yeah. <laughs> Megan is uh, it turns out is very, very important to this program in all seriousness and all the listeners know. She's the that. only normal person. She's right? the only one up here. And in fact, to that point, Megan Hills, every podcast does what professionals do 
when you do any kind of broadcast, and that is what we call Jerry Springer show prep. You come in ready to do a program. You do your preparation. You're ready to go. And I know that, that you know, you come in, let me be honest, you, you, you've come <laughs> in with some great jokes, but you have like 10 and then you just recycle them and you think, well, if I that's haven't. How, yeah, that, that, it's like wine. I mean, that's how it gets to be really good. The retelling of it again and oh, again. Oh, yeah. The first time you hear a joke, you go, eh. But then. <laughs> but the seventh time you oh, think, oh, yeah. I finally like today, get it. That's well, what Harold once said. Well, I finally got the joke. Yesterday. You know? Harold, by the way, Harold is the audience member of Tales, Tunes, and Tom Foolery, who has been here. And most of the time, his lovely wife with him. From day one. Right. He is the audience. Yes. He is. Yes. He's like a cast member. You either are a great fan or, frankly, you have nothing else to do. (laughs) Right. No, actually, the first time I met Harold, he was out sitting outside the... uh, Really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, he said, um, you know, I I haven't had a bite in days, and so I bit him. Uh, Oh, no, wait a second. I'm going to give you some credit. That is, see, what you do is you go to the library with your legal pad and you look up jokes in books, microfiche or whatever. I do have a library card. Do you have a library card? Nobody has a library card. I have a library card. What? Nobody has library cards. What do you mean? You don't go to the internet. We need library. What's no, the, actually. <laughs> oh, my God. You, oh, my God. Harold's wife, by the way, is a librarian. So I'm just joking. Oh, I'm oh, just joking. Good. You'll be proud to know. Uh, yeah, because we live in Sarasota, and I have a Sarasota library card. I showed you well, the good. other Let's day. Let's see I'm if you can find it, it there while we're... But let yeah, me well, tell you something, Jerry. And what, what am I going to show it yeah, on? Yeah, what are you going to show it? Are you going to show it on the podcast? Yeah, look, look. If you look very closely at your iPhone, you can see my library card. Uh, see that what you just told uh, haven't had a bite and in, 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 in bite yeah. here, whatever the punchline was, and so that was a joke. That's like from a joke book. Well, I don't do that. Uh, here's what I do: I I tell real stories from my life, and I will give you an example. Okay. Two days ago, you know, I ride the Ludlow City bus. I don't have a car. <laughs> so, and as the motto of the Ludlow City Bus Company is, if you can't get there on our bus, you don't need to go there. So I don't go <laughs> many, many places where the Ludlow okay. City bus doesn't go. Yeah. So I had to go to the post office in downtown Cincinnati. Ludlow kind of a butt Cincinnati. I took the Ludlow bus to the end of the line. I hailed a cab. I'm going through downtown Cincinnati, maybe the second time in my life that I've been down there. I got, I'm riding with a cab driver. I'm not saying anything. I see a tall building. I want to yes. ask a question about that. And what was I tapped the bus driver on the shoulder, and I swear it's like he went through the ceiling. He freaked out. Just all jittery, hit his head on the ceiling. He pulled up on the curb, luckily didn't hit any people or a building, stopped the cab. 15 seconds, we sit in silence while we're both calming down. And I said, man, I'm sorry, I I didn't mean to startle you. And he says, apologies are for me. It's my first day on the job. The last 27 years, I've been driving a hearse for a funeral parlor. (laughs) Testing one two one two, <laughs> yeah. Oh, so that would yeah that would uh, yeah. So that that's uh, yeah. actually happened, so, and that actually <laughs> happened. Well, of course it did. Well, you didn't go to the library for that. No, I didn't. No, go, no, no but that. No. But, 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 well, I mean, uh, we, yesterday, what, the same time you were in the cab. Really? Yeah, I'm. Um, you know, we're taping one of our shows in Stanford, Connecticut, and one of the camera guys, he was really in a foul mood, and and I said, you know, Bob, what's going on? And he said. Uh, 
He says, oh, it's my wife, you know. She, she always talks to me after sex. I said, so? Yeah. Uh, she said, yeah, last night she called me from Cleveland. <laughs> wow. Wow. Hey. Third time? Okay, that was yeah, the third, third time? time? <laughs> yeah. It needs to go to seven before, okay. like, okay. <laughs> you know, they... After hey. seven, I will <laughs> stop it. But the timing was better this week than last week. Yeah, I think this, because I, I, I kind of worked it into the, I worked it into the conversation. That's there good. You, go. you yeah. know, uh, I was thinking today about, I, I've been in education, uh, that was my professional career, and I still do it, I still am an adjunct professor at a local university, and I was thinking back to uh, something that happened that was both very funny and also, I thought, instructive. And there's some a uh, lot of F-bombs in the telling of the story. I'm just going to go ahead and tell it the way it happened, and then David will figure out whether we just go back and bleep a bunch of stuff. I'm going to have to leave. But I, <laughs> let me look around the room and make sure there aren't any. There are no children here. So, Jerry, and you know this because you helped me many times often with fundraisers and donating money and coming in and talking to kids. But I worked in schools and started some schools in my career that were pretty edgy and they were intentionally schools that would help kids that were disenfranchised and alienated and they were sometimes urban kids and sometimes kids from outer neighborhoods but who had uh, just some real attitudes and some real distrust of the system. I fancy myself to be honest in my egotistical moments as sort of, uh, at least in my local community, one of the saviors of these disenfranchised kids. And That's not an exaggeration. That's true. I mean, you started in Cincinnati, the New Morning School, and the Cincinnati public school system basically came to you and said, do it for us. And that's how the alternative school started uh, citywide. And it was called Citywide Learning Community. And thumbnail sketch of it was it's called Citywide because all the classes were held all over the city. If you study government, we go to where it was happening. In fact, do you remember, this is true, you, this is amazing. This, we had this class called Government in Action, where the class was me saying to the kids on the first day, let's try to do something in the system, and in the process, you'll learn everything about the system. And the kids complained that they couldn't go into stores to buy a candy bar or a soda without waiting out on the sidewalk, and they would allow them in only one at a time. Sometimes the max was three at a time. They asked me if that was discrimination. I said, well, they don't do that to me. So they set about to get an ordinance passed in Cincinnati that would make that illegal. You became the person who worked with them, and eventually, after a long, hard fight with hearings, et cetera, and PR strategies and working with a city solicitor to properly write the ordinance and with you as the person on the city council floor with nine members, you helped them get that passed. And that was an amazing thing. And we thank you for that. And it was yeah, an and, example and people, how that school yeah, and, and people should know who are not from the Cincinnati area that, that the school was uh, in a community called Clifton. And the store, as I remember, was either on McMillan or Calhoun Street or whatever. Yeah, One of those. Yeah, nearby. And the reason the store owners didn't want is because you had all these kids, many of whom were African-American, and they were tough kids. As you said, this was a school where you took kids that didn't necessarily fit in traditional education model, and you wanted to keep them in education and keep them learning. So we, Gene created this school. So now, so the store owners, though, 
Oh, they don't want a bunch of kids at noontime piling into their store. You know, in their minds, they're thinking, oh, look at those teenagers. They're going to grab something, you know, that all the horrible stereotypes. And that's what the discrimination was. So it wasn't just they came up with the rule, gee, let's only have one kid at a time come in. They were doing it because of their attitudes towards young people. And by the way, to get it passed, to get five votes out of nine, which is what we got. We didn't get four votes. We got five, got the five we needed, is we went to juvenile court and pulled up all the numbers of petty theft, which would be shoplifting. Yeah. yeah. And we found that the, 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 the data said clearly the percentage of petty theft was minute. So they were making all the kids stand outside for what only a few ever did, probably yeah. no more than happened when I was a kid. So anyway, we won the issue, and uh, but that was the school. So anyway, I had this, enrolled this young uh, woman, this uh, 17-year-old girl one day. It was in the year. She didn't start at the beginning. She came from another school. She was having a lot of trouble. I got to know her and her mom, and I thought, boy, this is another one of these kids. It's just really a neat kid, edgy, plenty angry, super smart, seemingly pretty creative, Everything about her was what I liked in kids. Those are the kids I wanted to deal with. I didn't want the kids that would sit in the back, do exactly what they were, what you told them to do and had their homework. I wanted kids that were, she was very interesting. So she had an altercation after being in the school only for a couple of weeks. She went off campus. They weren't permitted to do that at this point in time. Security person confronted her and she told him straight up to his face, go fuck yourself. The guy's like, what? So... He brings her, literally physically at certain points in the trip, back on campus into a room where all of the big leaders of the school were meeting around a large wooden table. We've all been in these in our corporate experiences, you know, where you're sitting around and all the power people are there. And this security guy was so upset about this, he barged into the room, apologized profusely to the top leader of the school. There were schools within the school, three of them. I was the leader of the citywide learning community. He says to my boss, this girl just told me to F myself. And the principal of the school, the head guy said, I'll take care of it. Take her to my office. And as soon as this is over, Mr. Galvin and I, because he knew she was one of my students, will take care of her. Before she left, she said, I want to tell you something. To look right at the principal. And she said, go fuck yourself. And the, and the room, and around this big table was the principal, the building police officer, the leaders of the three schools, the head of the uh, security, the head of the counseling department, all the power people. And we were stunned. And then she kind of settled into it, and she looked around the room, and she went one by one. <laughs> Cincinnati police officer, fuck you. And then she looked at the head of uh, guidance because she had enrolled her. Fuck you, Mr. <laughs> said his name. So I look at the circle and I'm thinking, this is unbelievable. I'm at the end of the circle with my peers. She is going to come to me and say, you, Galvin, are the exception. And my peers are going to go, damn. They're going to be so jealous because she's going to say, you're the only one in this place that understands us. And blah. So I'm like, I folded my arms and sat back and let, come on, keep it moving. Keep this it moving. This is going to be great. She kept going down the line and fuck you and fuck you. And she gets to me and I lock eyes with her and I kind of smile. And she says, Galvin, double fuck you, you motherfucker. And I'm like, what did I do? I'm Gene Galvin. What yeah. were you talking about? Yeah. 
Oh, that's what are a you talking great about? So then she picked up a, a chair, which was like a library wooden chair, threw it against the wall. It splintered, and she left the office. She left this room, and the security guy looked at the principal, and he says, take her to my office and uh, start the, tell my secretary start the expulsion papers, and we'll deal with it in a minute. She leaves. I got to tell you, this is the end of the story. The room fell dead silent. No one knew what to say. Everybody's staring at the middle of this big wooden table, <laughs> and I was the first one to speak, and I, my, my boss's name, God rest his soul, he passed a few years back, and his name, his, his name was Lowe short for a longer name. And I said, Lo, when you go downtown to the, to the central office and you sit with a cabinet down there, haven't you ever felt like just going down around the room one by one and just telling all those people to get bent? You really would like to do that. And that to me is the moral of the story is that we've all been in situations and it's out of the mouths of children where they just have the guts to say, I'm having a bad day. Yeah. You all a bunch of assholes. You know, just go around yeah. the room. Do you, man, do, do you have any idea where she is now? Has there been any follow up? Do you know that I wrote an article for a, a local magazine, yeah. a yeah. wonderful uh, Cincinnati magazine, about uh, some of the uh, edgy schools that happened in, in my yeah. lifetime? And I was uh, proud to be part of a couple of them. So I wrote a story about what are the students who were like that who came out of the new morning school and the citywide learning community. What are they doing today? And by the way, they're 59, 60 years old today. I wrote that article a couple years ago. I found many, many of them. I've never been able to find her. I don't even remember her name, but she is one of maybe the one that I would love to just sit down with and have a beer or some coffee and just laugh about that because it was just, now, look, I'm not saying we want people to do that in schools. Yeah. I get it. I'm an educator. I know. By the way, we expelled her. I mean, there was a consequence yeah. for what she, you can't do that. Not to me. You could do it yeah. to those other people. Yeah. can't do that to me. No, she was expelled. I would love to know what happened to her. I have no idea. But I, I, my I think prediction she's, is she's probably doing something pretty interesting. Yeah, she's running in the Republican primaries for president. Fiorina. That was her last name, be. wasn't it? Yeah. And in fact, I wanted to ask you about that. Because oh, in the, uh, these podcasts always air when they air, and we get sometimes a little ahead. So nothing's related exactly to time. But in some of these debates, and you know, there have been many, and there was one last night as well, a theme seems to have come up that I've heard you talk about, and I'd like you to share it with our audience. Uh, what is kind of an over uh, a motif, if you will, a reoccurring theme? Yeah, I it, we were talking about it in, literally in the in the car driving over here. I'm, I'm sorry, in the bus. Yeah, right. Yeah, on the Ludlow City bus. Of course, <laughs> no one's going to believe I no. was on a bus. I don't <laughs> think they okay. will. No. Okay, you were on the bus. I was yelling to you from the back seat of my limo, and. Uh, <laughs> No, we were talking about it, and uh, what struck me, and why, and it's not just in the debate because it it goes on, you know, through the whole campaign. And I, I don't agree with his positions at all. But when I watched last night, the one person who was totally honest and consistent, although Bush did fairly well in terms of being honest, and you know he's going nowhere, I think, but anyway. But the one person that is really totally consistent, and maybe you get, you know, and he's not a hate monger, uh, was Rand Paul. Rand from Paul, Kentucky, from where from we do the this senator from, And I'm not a fan of his, so this shouldn't be misinterpreted. I don't agree with his positions, but he makes a very good point. 
He said, and he included the Republicans. In fact, he mostly went after the Republicans. He said, ever since we started, and it started with uh, second President Bush, ever since we started with a foreign policy called regime change, everything started falling apart. Every problem we have in the Middle East is because we had the policy, for whatever reason, of toppling regimes. And because we did that, what was left behind, and you can just go through almost every Middle Eastern country other than Israel and Jordan, is the change in the regime, and now you have chaos, and so it's no longer just fighting al-Qaeda, now it's ISIS, and once we get rid of ISIS, if we ever do, there'll be some other group. And because everyone had a very aggressive foreign policy, at least in the debates, and very muscular. So he was right about that. And what is horrible about what these other candidates are saying, as I said, with the exception of Bush and maybe um, the Ohio governor, Kasich, Kasich, John Kasich, maybe with those two exceptions, what the others were doing, fear, if you had to describe one word of their message, it's America, be afraid. They are running on a program of fear. And they inadvertently, because I assume motives are, I assume everyone's a patriotic American in this race, but they are doing the work of ISIS. Let me explain that. Terror will never be eliminated. Eliminating terror is like saying you're going to eliminate crime. There will always be some criminals. That's why you have police officers and, and laws and everything else, because, you know, you have laws, someone's going to violate it. You have to have courts and police officers and everything else. You will always have, in any society throughout history, you'll have some people who are criminals. You will also, throughout history, we have had and will forever have, as long as they're human beings, some people who are terrorists. Being a terrorist is the only weapon of a person without power who wants to do something that we hate. So all you have, you don't have armies, you know, you don't have great military, you don't have a lot of money, so what do you have? You have a fear. That's how you can influence a much stronger country's foreign policy. That's how you can affect their everyday lives. The way you get a superpower is through terror. That's the only weapon people who hate us have. And that's never, ever going to change. And the terrorists, by the way, don't have to come from some other country, as we're learning. They can be American citizens. So this concept that if we just bomb this one area, that'll do it. We can win this war. We're going to bomb them, we'll put boots on the ground, and we're going to do away with terror. Really? What is happening now? And they're all following this. Are we insane? We are playing into the hands of ISIS. We are the greatest recruiter. These candidates have become the greatest recruiter for ISIS. They are saying things like, we're going to carpet bomb. You know what carpet bomb means? It means... What does a carpet do? A carpet covers the whole area. It means you wipe out everybody in the area, knowing full well that 95% of the people you're killing aren't the terrorists. They're just people that happen to live in that town. They're innocent people, men, women, and children that have nothing to do with terrorists. They're trying to run away from the terrorists. We're going to carpet bomb them? That's the language that, for example, Cruz uses. The bombs will sparkle the sand. We're talking about building a wall so 
uh, Mexicans won't come over. We're going to build a wall so the Muslims can't get in. We're going to prohibit Muslims from coming in from another country. We're going to do everything to declare war on the Muslim religion, which is over a billion people. That is exactly what ISIS wants. That's how they recruit. So some lonely, angry, for whatever reason, person living in Kansas City, some kid in his bedroom upstairs in front of a computer, goes to a website. It doesn't matter how many times we bomb Syria, that kid is sitting in the middle of America. And he says, oh, this is exciting. Yeah, I could be part of this. And then you get wrapped up in the cause. And oh, you're going to go to heaven. And this is going to be wonderful. And you can do something meaningful in your life. Just grab a gun. And how difficult is that? Because these same people that want to carpet bomb, bomb everybody start fight against you know, any kind of gun control in this country. So grab a gun and do something horrible like blow people away. And now we're going to bomb again. It makes no sense. Just very logically, if you really want to make us, remember, we can't ever do away with terrorism totally. There'll always be some person that wants to do something horrible. We know that. You got 320 million people in America. Some people are going to be bad and they're going to do bad things. We know that we try to make ourselves as safe as can be. We try and be alert. We try and have security measures. We do whatever we can to keep us as safe as possible. But we don't want to recruit more people to get it. So I don't know, and I think in the end, I hope, America stands up, the American people, and say, this is nuts. You know, stop politicians getting cheers because, by God, I'm going to carpet bomb them. I'm going to nuke them. You vote for me. We'll have a, we won't let these Muslims in America. We're getting all caught up in this. Do we understand what we're doing do we not think that the Muslims around the world were watching the debates the other night? They see these possible presidential candidates saying these horrible things. Put your own religion in there. Let's say you're Catholic. Let's say you're Protestant. Let's say you're Jewish. Imagine if you saw people running across the world saying, if I'm elected, we're going to get them Catholics. We're going to get them fundamentalist Christians. Whoa, we're going to turn them into sand. I mean, really, wouldn't you then say, this is a horrible leader. Let's, let's start recruiting people to get this guy. This is insane. This is irresponsible leadership. So hats off. I never thought I'd say this in my life, but hats off to Jeb Bush. He stood up against it. And frankly, so did Kasich. And so did Rand Paul. It has to come from the Republican Party. Obviously, the Democrats aren't going to say stuff like that. But responsible people in the Republican Party have to say, I'm sorry, you may not carry the banner of this party to be president of the United States because you are endangering the security of the United States of America. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about who gets the majority, do the Democrats win, do the Republicans win. I am telling you, if you have a president that says that kind of stuff and does that kind of stuff, we will, we will be less secure than we have ever been in the United States of America. All right, Jerry. <clears throat> so this guy comes in and he's wearing this hearing aid. I think it's this older fella. Really? Is he here? 
Yeah. Uh, I think he is. And he's telling me this is the finest earring aid money can buy. I said, yeah, what kind is it? He said, four o'clock. <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, uh, I tell you what. <laughs> no, that's fifth time. No. That's the fifth yeah. time, yeah. That wasn't just Audience fifth. That was reminding fifth. Jerry. Yeah, that's, that's the one I use most often. We've been here before. <laughs> hey, by the way, we have, uh, very happy to say, Andy Tracy and Jeremy Francis. And if we could ask Casey if you'll... Uh, bring those fellows in, and as they're coming in to set up, let me tell you something about them. Uh, Jeremy Francis is from Oxford, Ohio, lives now in Loveland, Ohio. By the way, came in first place in the John Hartford Memorial Festival, on the song, which has a songwriting contest. That's pretty cool. And then with him, working with him, is uh, Sleepy Andy Tracy, and he was born and raised in Cincinnati, comes from a musical family, and uh, is currently recording an album of r original Smoky Mountain songs, which is close to my heart because I love the Smoky Mountains. Been feel like I spent a third of my life in the Smoky Mountains. So uh, we're going to ask these guys to sing a song, and then we're going to chat with them and see where we go from there. You guys ready to go? Yes, sir. All right. How can I go back home?
Yeah. That's Jeremy Francis and Andy Tracy. That is good. Who wrote that? That one is mine. Sleepy that's Sleepy Andy. Andy. Yeah. Sleepy Andy Tracy, and uh, that's one of the Smoky Mountain songs. That's right. That's a great song. So how did the Smokies inspire you to write music? What, what made that happen? Um, I just, my wife and I have been together for 20 years, and I think over all of that 20 years, we've been traveling down there, you know, for a couple of days or a week or whatever. And camping? Uh, mostly camping, uh, tent camping, like real yeah. camping. Yeah, right. Uh, and now that we've got kids, we've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and uh, we take them down there with us too. The Smoky Mountains are a wonderful and I'm sure a very inspirational place. The closest place to the Cincinnati area, about six hours, right. where you can see some serious mountains, 7,000 foot in the highest point, because uh, I, I, I myself spent a lot of time down there. I love it. Uh, and also, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about the John Hartford uh festival where you've done some songwriting and came in first place uh, yes sir uh let's see this will be the sixth year uh there's john right behind you guys i know we got a, a picture of him behind us and where <laughs> is that festival by the way uh it's in uh, uh bean blossom indiana okay which is about an hour and a half maybe two hours from cincinnati it's a celebration of the the life and music of everything john hartford it's uh, it's a spectacular time uh, they their thing is they call it the most laid back festival in America. And after being at all six, yeah, uh, it definitely is. Very cool. And you guys, uh, we Andy's on a mandolin and you're on, is this a Dobro that you're playing or? Well, it's a resophonic guitar. Okay. Dobro's uh, a, a brand name. A different, it's same it's a brand thing, name. A brand. It's Kleenex, yeah. Kleenex to tissue. Got it. This is a national. This was the original. Oh, that's cool. You guys have a really good sound. Would you do us another song? Yes, sir. Sure. All right. Miles, 
But the further I go, the harder it is to look back with a fork tongue crooked smile. Whiskey's the devil's blood, and it's poured into a shot glass. You can take down just about any good man, you know, but I still don't pass. Slap a label on that old brown liquor, you can call it whatever you want. Shotgun moonshine with a hair trigger and a bottle reads devil's blood. Good. That's Sleepy Andy, Tracy, and Jeremy Francis. Uh, you guys are really good. We really appreciate you coming by, came by and shared that with us. You guys take us out on uh, Hootie Ledbetter's Irene Goodnight? Yep. Sure we appreciate it. Sean. 